Fight Night by Miriam Taves is, in a quite literal sense, a love letter to mothers and daughters and grandmothers and granddaughters. Told from the perspective of nine-year-old Swift, newly expelled from school, she's having to deal with the imminent upheavals of the birth of a sibling and the declining health of her beloved grandma. With Swift's opening words, Dear Dad, how are you? I was expelled. Readers are drawn into the chaotic, ramshackle, but love and life-filled world of this family, a world in which the only way through is to fight. To paraphrase one of the characters, Fight Night brings readers into full body contact with the absurd. It's also a book that forces those describing it into the most effusive cliché, virtuosic, life-affirming, wickedly funny, and yet which itself evades cliché on every level. If you're anything like me, Fight Night will make you laugh out loud from the pit of your belly, and it'll probably make you cry, although they might not be the kind of tears you recognise. It's pretty much my favourite novel of 2022, and I'm beyond delighted that Miriam Taves joins me to discuss it today. Miriam, welcome to the Shakespeare and Company <laughs> podcast. Thank you so much, Adam. It's good to be here. Oh, well, thank you. Um, as I say, like I'm going to um, have to control my effusiveness um, during <laughs> this, uh, this interview, because it's really such an extraordinary book on so many levels. Um, I guess the point I'd like to jump in is with Swift and the, the voice, which springs off the page from the very first page. And at least as a reader, I got a very vivid sense of this little girl so quickly. Um, so I'd like to begin, I suppose, by finding out how you got to know Swift. Like, was, was this uh, a voice that you know from your own past, from somebody you knew? Was it, a, was it sort of a new meeting in the, in the composition of this book? I think that the the voice of so well first of all I had to decide you know I, I kind of knew what I wanted to write about mm-hmm. um but or write but but um I didn't really know how I was going to do it who would be you know who would be the narrator narrator mm-hmm. and who would tell the story and then I realized okay it would be a kid and mm-hmm. it would be it would be a young girl and um you know and I thought okay age of nine nine for me in my life was a significant time when I felt uh-huh. sort of in, in between childhood and, and puberty and sort of, it was when I started questioning things, when I started feeling, you know, hard, difficult emotions. It was just, you know, I thought it was a good, I thought it was a good age um, for, for, for Swiv to be. And the voice, I think, I mean, I think it's a, um, I tried to remember um, myself at, at that age. Um, I try, I think, I, I think it's a combination of maybe my own nine-year-old self and and maybe my daughter mm-hmm. uh <laughs> you know who now is an adult with children of her own but <laughs> but um yeah it was um it, it was the challenge was of course um because she's nine was to you know to convey all of the the hard stuff the feelings that she's having mm-hmm. her anxiety her but at the same time you know she you know there's a lot of stuff that she just doesn't want to talk about right na- naturally or and is unable to really talk mm-hmm. about to articulate you know at, because of her age and so so um so that was kind of the challenge that was sort of trying to convey all that stuff but you know, from her perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's one one moment actually you make me think of about her sort of, I guess, struggling with concepts which to an adult might be quite familiar is that there's there's a character, another character who cries tears which are apparently of happiness. And like, and, and Swift just kind of says, that's, you know, I, I can't remember exactly how you write it, but that's, it was completely new to her, this concept that tears could in some way uh, be provoked yeah. by joy as well as sadness. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure. I can't remember. I remember that. And I think she says something like, um, you know, adults are so crazy and, you know, they're always doing everything at once, you mm. know, <laughs> because in, of course, in her mind, yes, tears are associated with yeah. sadness. On a kind of technical level of getting that voice right, was there... A sort of a, a, a sort of a debate, for, an internal debate for yourself about how articulate to make her, because I, my, my hunch is that often when we represent children, we sort of underestimate how sort of articulate and how knowing, for example, a child of a nine year old might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had to. Yeah, because, you know, a nine year old. Uh, at least, you know, the nine-year-old that I was, the nine-year-olds that I know, I mean, it is, it's a, it's a fine, it's a fine line. And, and there's a lot of bravado in Swiv's um, narration in her um, letter mm-hmm. <laughs> to her father. It, it, there's a lot of, um, 
skirting around things. There's a there's a lot of um, resistance to talking about certain things, and yet, of course, you know, it's a book. I mean, we need to mm-hmm. know what she's feeling about things, and 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 um, so. Yeah, I mean, and 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 people have said, you know, I think some people have said that she sounds older than you know than than nine, and some people say, oh, you know, maybe she doesn't sound as old as nine. I mean, there are various. I think I think it just depends on the reader's own sort of um, memory of of being nine or experience with nine year olds. But I think it's it was definitely a challenge. I mean, it was definitely you know it was. It was, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of the, yeah, like it, it, it was just that constant, um, you know, sort of dance, a kind of mm-hmm. back and like that two-step, you know, of yeah. a little bit of information so that the reader understands what Swiv is talking about, but Swiv doesn't necessarily understand what she's talking about. Dear Dad, how are you? I was expelled. Have you ever heard of choice time? That's my favorite class. I do choice time at the Take Apart Center, which is the place in our classroom where we put on safety goggles and take things apart. It's a bit dangerous. The first half of the class, we take things apart, and then Madam rings a bell, which means it's the second half of the class, and we're supposed to put things back together. It doesn't make sense, because it takes way longer to put things back together than take them apart. I tried to talk to mom about it, and she said I should just start putting things back together sooner, before madam rings the bell. But when I did that, madam told me I had to wait for the bell. I told madam about the problem with time, but she didn't like my tone, which was a lashing out tone, which I'm supposed to be working on. Mom is in her third trimester. She's cracking up. Gord is trapped inside her. I asked her what she wanted for her birthday, and she said, a cold IPA and a holiday. Grandma lives with us now. She has one foot in the grave. She's not afraid of anything. I asked her where you were, and she said, that's the $64,000 question. She said she misses Grandpa. She said that by the time she gets to heaven, he'll probably have left. Men, she said. They come and they... And of course, as you mentioned, this is, um, and as I alluded to in the introduction, this is essentially an epistolary novel. This is Swift writing writing to her dad. Was that sort of formal restraint, essentially, that you put on yourself another sort of helpful way to get to get into the voice, to allow her to sort of express herself, perhaps in a way that she might not have been able to or might not have been comfortable doing um, out loud, for example? Absolutely. It's a way, I mean, I think letter writing, you know, it's there, letters are, are so honest. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not crafting a narrative, you know, when we write letters to people, it's just sort of, you know, it's like a diary entry. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a, you know, this happened and then that happened. And this is, you know, it's, it's just, um, it's a, di- it's a different way of, of telling a story of talking about your life and a, a more, you know, honest and realistic way of doing it. And, and, um, so the letter, the, yeah. So the, the fact that, I mean, I decided that it, it should be a letter first of all, because, you know, she, it's an assignment, every book that I, I feel like mm-hmm. every book that I've written is sort of like <laughs> an assignment that I've given to myself in some uh-huh. way that isn't necessarily overtly um, apparent in the, in the book itself, mm-hmm. but in my mind, it just in order to justify writing something in order to mm-hmm. actually write a book, because, uh, y- you know, I need to create it as an assignment to myself. So for this, and this is kind of like meta and, you know, maybe too, uh, but, but um, if I'm Swiv, for instance, if I become Swiv in the writing of, of the book, you know, I needed a reason <clears throat> as Swiv to, to write, to write, to write the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that actually, I mean, that that very idea of assignments is quite interesting, actually, because that's something which features in um, the rather. Now, I, I've been kind of, I've been trying to f- figure out the best word to use to describe the family setup, because mm-hmm. I, I was thinking kind of unconventional or dysfunctional, but none of them quite do justice. All of them seem to carry connotations which I wouldn't want to put on on this family, and I wonder if that's partly because all of these terms. Are so loaded that once you actually meet real people for real, you never quite want to put them <laughs> them in those boxes. But there's certainly something, I suppose, quite um, 
yeah, quite uncommon about the mm-hmm. uh, about the family setup and the home life of uh, of Swift. So, would you just be able to, for our listeners who haven't yet read the book, give a little bit of a description of the the place Swift finds herself when uh, when the book begins? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just that point that you say, you know, you, using the word dysfunctional, I, re- I remember I wouldn't I wouldn't describe describe it as a dysfunctional um, family or, or household either. And somebody in a review once, you know, said, said something something about, oh, that I, you know, write write about the dysfunctional family so well, right. you know, like the dysfunct, you know, this kind of category. And I just really thought, no, that that's not true. That's not true at all. You know, this this particular family and I, I would, you know, say every other family that I've written about, which of course are all variations on the same, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, family, uh, mine, Um, (laughs) you know, there's a lot that, that, a lot that happens. And and like you say, maybe things that aren't super common, but, Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, dysfunctional, I don't think so, you know, Um, but so I, the, the, the the book, so there are three, yeah, so, so Swiv lives with her mother, Mushi, who is pregnant Mm -hmm. uh, with Gord, um, the gourd is the name that they've given the the baby, the unborn baby, and and um, and her grandmother, mm. who is you know whose health is precarious and who is basically um, tasked with um, homeschooling Swift mm. because, like you said, she's been expelled and uh, for fighting, and um, which she is kind of confused by, uh, and and um, but pretty happy though to be at mm-hmm. home with her with her grandma and uh, Mushi her mother is an actress and is always going out either auditioning or working um and and um so it's basically uh the two of them Swiv and and her grandma who you know move through their days and uh, have certain types of adventures mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and all the while i mean and the uncommonness i mean you know so these three generations living together of course that you know that that happens everywhere but but um there there's a lot of stuff that um that you know that that they're kind of dealing with that they're mm-hmm. um that that they've experienced first of all their you know background having escaped so to speak um mm-hmm. you know fundamentalist fundamental you know fundamentalist religious uh community and um a mennonite community um and and then you know with the the suicides of um swiv's grandfather and um Aunt and and Mushi is, you know, so so everybody's dealing with all of this stuff while, mm-hmm. you know, while attempting basically to, you know, to to live. And Mushi, of course, you know, she's a 40 something year old pregnant woman. Her um, her uh, the partner, her partner, uh, Swiv's dad has taken off. He's gone. They don't know where he is. Or maybe Mushi has an idea of where he is. Swiv certainly doesn't really uh-huh. know where he is. And. <laughs> And whether he's ever coming back. So, you know, and she's, and so Mushi is really responsible for, you know, providing for this family. And of course, you know, as an actress, that's not easy. So, I mean, there's, you know, it's sort of typical struggles on the one hand and, and then not so typical struggles on the other hand. Yeah. 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 And of course the, the grandmother is a formidable character <laughs> and, um, and, and I, and I, I don't want to say kind of exceptionally formidable as well, because when I think of, um, for example, I think I went back, my, my grandmother that I think it's sort of perhaps it's uh was women of a certain generation or maybe perhaps mm-hmm. women of a certain class uh I don't know but who certainly women who had to to struggle early on in their life and in the middle and towards the end of their life had a certain kind of sort of a bolshiness and a sweariness which uh which I absolutely adored um in the character of of the grandma and we'll come on to talk a bit more about her in a minute but just mm-hmm. concerning her relationship with Swiv uh, I noticed this kind of wonderful tension in a way in Swiv which is like on the one side which I think all kids have to an extent is this kind of just this wish for her family to be quotes unquote normal as uh, as she thinks <laughs> yes. you know whether she's thinking about her mom or her grandma there's this kind of there's these moments where she's like oh, why can't you be normal but also alongside that a complete deep rooted love for uh for these two matriarchs in her life absolutely and and swiv's real you know awareness that that uh, grandma you know isn't going to be around forever mm-hmm. um you know she has like like swiv says she has you know one one foot in the grave and and um 
so yeah, I mean, there's, there's a deep love, a deep bond between, Mm -hmm. between all of them. And also, uh, um, you know, a real, uh, willingness to fight and defend, uh, Mm. the other, even though at the same time, I mean, Swift, yeah, I mean, she just longs for, you know, especially her mother who she thinks is just a, a, you know, a nutcase, a basket case, you know, (laughs) and in a sense she kind of is, I mean, she has mental health issues. She's dealing with all sorts of, you know, difficult, difficult stuff and, and, um, grief and, you know, and, and you name it. And, and, um, but yeah, I think Swift says it at one point, you know, if it could just like, or I don't even, I can't remember exactly what she says, but just that her mother is incapable of being normal or of appearing normal for long, for, and for, for, you know, longer than four seconds at a time uh-huh. you know so it's just sort of like maybe when she's asleep she might even but even then Swift <laughs> doesn't like the way she sleeps she thinks she's, you know so <laughs> typically and yet you know so yeah so she can be critical of the way that her mother sleeps but at the same time you know loving sleeping with her you know going to her bed and sleeping with her in her mother's arms you know like a little child mm-hmm. you know because Swift needs that too Swift is Swift Swift is troubled you know, she, <laughs> she, she's a messed up kid in so many ways, um, you know, trying, trying to fight things. And she, 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 you know, it, as her, as her grandma is encouraging her to do, but not really understanding what, you know, what she's fighting, what she's mm-hmm. supposed to be fighting, what the fight means. How, how do you define this? And, and um, so for her to have those moments of, you know, just that, just that, a, a tenderness, affection, that closeness, that intimacy, you know, with, with her mother in her mother's arms, the physical intimacy or the physical, you know, affection that the, that they all have with each other, you, mm-hmm. you know, something that's um, so necessary. And yet at the same time and, and shows, you know, their, their, their deep, deep bond and their, and their, their love, but you're, you're right. I mean, they all drive each other bananas. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, the the relationship between a, a child and their mother and a grandchild and their their their, their grandmother is of, is of course going to be a, a very different um, dynamic, and that's what what we find in the book. Um, there's a moment where the grandma refers to Shiv uh, to Shiv, sorry, to Swiv as her sidekick and as her little Sancho Panza, and that really <laughs> that sort of idea of sort of grandma therefore as Don Quixote and and Swiv as Sancho Panza really sort of unlocked something for me in their relationship but also i think in the sort of the the approach to to life that we find um in you know particularly in the early chapters of the book so you mentioned the the homeschooling earlier mm-hmm. um and it seems there's a certain approach almost to turn life into a game mm-hmm. in the house and and i say that sort of very advisedly because i don't want listeners who haven't read the book to think that that means in some way they are trivializing life because they're really not at all. And yet there's something perhaps in a similar way to what uh, Don Quixote did when he was, you know, tilting at windmills that like there's, you take the certain sort of mundane facts of life and through something particular about your approach, you transform it into into something more, let's say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and um, and and Grandma, of course, is you know is so is so good at that, and is the sort of team leader in in mm-hmm. a sense, the cheerleader, the you know by fi- finding joy, by creating joy, by mm-hmm. by w- with playfulness, with um, like you say, you know, turning things into a game, um, and n- n- and as you also said, not trivializing things, not minimalizing the, you know, the, 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 the hard, you know, impact of, of, Mm -hmm. of, of things of, of, of everything that they've experienced, but, but um, by somehow, you know, taking it, reshaping it into something that is, um, you know, if not, if not, fun necessarily something that is like you say you know tilting at windmills you know standing back a little bit you know being you know understanding that this is life this is the Mm -hmm. world you know we can we can choose Mm -hmm. we can choose to to you know to be um in 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 constant agony and and to you know and 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 to to live bitterly um, and with such uncertainty as, as they do, you know, in, in the book, these women, I mean, they are living with such uncertainty and, and precariousness, you know, but at the same time, grandma does take all of that stuff and mm-hmm. creates, creates a kind of a playground in, of it uh, yes. for, for Swift. 
And that that's that you mentioned this this idea of kind of, of joy, and that, and I think that's crucial. I mean, at the moment, uh, you write about the the human imperative to experience joy, and that, and that's it. And I think that's what what we're talking about here is this idea of like it's not um, it's not just it's not just fun and games. It's not trivial. Yeah. It's a sort of it's a deep rooted approach to approach to life. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes too from, you know, the wisdom, the sort of, you know, mature wisdom that grandma has and, you know, and, and the, the, the other sort of naive wisdom. I know that sounds like a contradiction in terms, but the naive um, or the innocent, in mm-hmm. a sense that, you know, that that sort of, con, con, you know, the, the kind of with grandma's wisdom and 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 Swiv's innocence and um but yeah but it does you know it just it just kind of creates a, a space you know a kind mm-hmm. of tone a kind of yeah. tone and, and um and also you know with grandma's real real clear understanding that you know she's not long for this mm-hmm. world you know and, and um and she's trying to she's trying to leave something uh behind for swiv she's trying to in her way you know show swiv mm-hmm teach Swiv, um, you know, how, how, how to live really, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, um, and how to live with, with joy, you know, with, with playfulness, with Mm -hmm. humor, you know, and, and also with, with an understanding of the truth, you know, Mm -hmm. this is really important to grandma to, to, you know, to, to explain to Swiv what really happened in their Mm -hmm. family, you know, what, what is really going on with her mother, and what they're really up against, yeah. you know, and and uh, and it's important, you know, yeah, for, gr- and for grandma fact, to explain this to Swiv. And and that's something which Swiv is definitely very conscious of, like like right from the start. Like um, there's this uh, line that I that I have in my notes here, where where Swiv is saying she's been um, picked up on on her on, yeah. on, on her language, uh, the word <laughs> she chooses to use, and she says, uh, "I don't know why saying bowel movement and stool is better than saying vag and pie hole." <laughs> It doesn't matter what word you use in life, it's not going to prevent you from suffering. And so there's this, clearly this sense that Swift knows at this very young age, the, you know, to, to sort of paraphrase the kind of the Buddhist precept that all life is suffering in a Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yeah. And yet there is also this sense coming from grandma and coming from her mother as well, that there's sort of that you're not going to submit to this, uh, yeah. this suffering. You are going to fight. And, yeah. I, and I, I think this is kind of something I'd really like to spend a bit of time unpacking is this concept of of fighting in the book, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Um, I suppose when uh, generally when we're when we're confronted with that word, often it's sort of it it would have certain negative connotations. It, it, it implies a clash, it implies some sort of antagonism. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet one thing that becomes very clear, I suppose, is depending on who you are and depending on how you've lived, there are different types of fighting. And in certain contexts, fighting can not only be a positive thing, but a necessary thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and the understanding of what it is to fight and what it means to fight and, 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 um, you know, the fact that we all are fighting on, on some level. I mean, you know, whether, whether we're fighting for our, you know, our, our rights, whether we're fighting for, you know, our right to exist or our, or our voice or our, you know, our agency or, you know, what or you know, I mean, whatever it is, you know, there are sort of these sort of like existential levels of, of fighting, but, you know, and then also on a sort sort of micro scale as, as well. I mean, every day seems to be, you know, a sort of series of, you know, <laughs> con- conflicts, even when, when mm. the, you know, most of them are with ourselves really, you know, right. but, 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 um, but, but more importantly, I think the idea of fighting the the Buddhist concept for sure, you know, life is suffering. And when you sort of fully and, and I think at one point grandma tries to explain, you know, the, the story of Buddhism, of how, you know, she changes it to, you know, to a little princess. She, changes, you know, she puts a puts a female protagonist in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but but um, for Swift's sake, but but, um, you know, when you really fully uh understand that i think you know mm-hmm. when you come to that understanding that life is suffering that you know that there's a meaninglessness to it there's a futility to it there's a there's a ridiculousness to it you know there's an absurdity to it um and and uh and it requires great strength 
strength mm. and courage and kindness and love and compassion and everything. It, it requires so many big things, you know, to, to get through um, that, uh, you know, I think when, when you when you realize that it's it's. Uh, you know, the idea of fighting then just becomes more just sort of like the idea of living, mm -hmm. you know, um, or fighting or fighting for the truth, you know, or fight, right. fighting for for clarity, fighting for peace of mind, fighting for, you know, a certain a certain kind of, um, you know, loving um, presence vibe to, you know, to it, it's just I don't know. And, and I think that, you know, although it starts off, the book starts off, obviously, with literally with with Swiv, you know, fighting, she's fighting at school, she's getting in mm -hmm. trouble because she's fighting at school. Um, you know, the, the idea of what <laughs> of what fighting comes to comes to mean to her is something that changes it, you know, in, mm -hmm. in the book and, and that and that and that very importantly, you know, there's the idea of that, you know, grandma's trying to convey uh, of of knowing when not to fight right yeah 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 and also i guess knowing how to fight as knowing, well yeah yeah um, knowing first of all identifying what the fight is you know mm -hmm. and then yeah uh, yeah. yeah yeah that's sort of i i don't think i'd articulated it myself quite in this way until you were speaking then but just this idea of i guess in a sense and you know this is a kind of a slightly cliche way to talk about a novel but part of swift's journey i guess mm -hmm. is learning is learning, yeah, what to fight, when to fight, what to fight, and yeah, and uh, and how to fight. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, sort of trying to come to understand. I mean, it's difficult to explain to a kid um, who wants to do this to explain to a yeah. kid that you know life is actually meaningless. I mean, and that's not, <laughs> and that's not, <laughs> you know, and that's not what Grandma's trying to tell her, you know. Mm -hmm. Certainly, but you know, but but there's a sort of like existential kind of you know w wisdom or you know guidance or something like that that she is she is really trying to convey to Swift that don't take it all too seriously. Yes. You know, <laughs> it's brief, <laughs> it's painful. Um, you know, let's try to you know let's let let's try to to. To, to move forward in 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 life as ourselves you know with, mm -hmm. with 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 you know you know with strength with with courage with with kindness and and mm -hmm. anyway I'm just you know rambling here too but, <laughs> and, <laughs> you um you mentioned that she, she she when she tries to when grandma tries to tell us with the story of um of Buddhism and uh, and you said you know she you know for Swift's benefit she replaces the the prince with a princess but it's something struck me. That's not actually. I mean, but that's uh, far be it from me to tell you what your characters were thinking. <laughs> but like, it suddenly struck me that like that's not incidental in a way. Mm -hmm. um, so when when I first saw the title of your novel, and I, I there was a kind of a corollary for me just in the title, with of course a very famous novel that became a very famous film in the '90s, which is Fight Club. Mm -hmm. And so like Fight Club, and perhaps fairly or unfairly, I don't really want to say, but like has become sort of represents a certain type of maleness and a certain type of machismo and a certain sort of approach to fighting and violence and beating and being beaten. Mm -hmm. And when, as I was reading Fight Night, it almost seemed to me that this was such a sort of a, a perfect kind of female corollary to this <laughs> perspective, actually, about kind of almost sort of looking at the way fighting life is presented in from a very male perspective in Fight Club and saying it's almost kind of yes but there's all of this as well and so it's sort of <laughs> that's sort of the lack of sort of a uh I mean I guess I suppose the 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 question is is it it's is it crucial for you that this is sort of a very sort of female perspective in a way that like this is almost sort of the with and her mom and her grandma are pushed to fight in this way mm -hmm. because as you write at the moment you know women are mm -hmm. punished for every forever mm -hmm. for everything <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure it is and again that goes back to to my own you know to my own um childhood where i was raised where i was born you know in a very oppressive um religious uh community where women had no voice where women were second class citizens where men men were entitled where you know the our religious leaders controlled um Every, everything where the church, but, you know, and, and the role of girls and women, you know, within, within that context was of course, you know, uh, um, one, one that was, um, very, very difficult. And so, 
so, and that's the background too, that, you know, my, my the characters, you know, grandma and Swift and grandma and, and Mushi, you know, Swift's mom come from, come from that, come mm-hmm. from that, from, from that community and have left it. And so that's sort of informing their, you know, their everything, um, you know, the way, the way that they, you, 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 Mushi's like just hatred, just, just hatred to any type of authority and particularly mm-hmm. in her word, world, you know, director, <laughs> director is mm-hmm. a, um, you know, and, and, and the fact that, you know, her Swift's father, you know, has, has taken off. And I mean, so certainly, I mean, that female energy, the feet, a sort of female notion of, of fighting, um, f- fighting kind of like on a sort of, this is a, this is a common phrase being used these days, but on the kind of cellular level mm-hmm. on a sort of like that, that it's just that there's almost, it's almost through <laughs> evolution, you know, within us, this kind of constant constant fighting um on on the one hand for for our safety for our voice for for our freedom for our mm-hmm. uh, um that ha- that has not gone away mm-hmm. um you know maybe you know, you know in some places for short periods of time we feel that we're not fighting but essentially women are, are constantly fighting mm-hmm. at, at at war <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a sense um you know you can just just politically you can see what's going on but also you know but also just domestically and in, in mm-hmm. you know and and so that's that that is definitely a part of it when i called when i called book fight night there was a lot of debate you know my editors and here you know they didn't want to call it fight they didn't like the title uh-huh. um they said that it sounded you know you, you know people at my publisher they said it was maybe too masculine or or um mm. <laughs> yeah too you know aggressive yeah, yeah. um you, you know and and i thought well that that's strange and yeah it does sound too much like fight club you know and and um com- comments like like that and um and i did think i thought i tried to think of other titles you know other mm-hmm. things that could possibly be called but i also you know it also has a kind of childish um you know because it rhymes i mean it's mm-hmm. swift right it's swift yeah. telling the story you know and it is a sort of it's the title that she would use if she mm-hmm. were to you know give her letters a title <laughs> then you know i guess every book has to have a title but yeah maybe it shouldn't have had any title but <laughs> uh, i take it from a book selling perspective that's that's it <laughs> doesn't work so well. <laughs> but yeah, in my mind at the time, uh, for all these reasons, you know, the female energy, the female notion of fighting and what we're up against and what we'll always be up against, it seems, um, mm-hmm. you know, is, is um, yeah, is there in the title. Yeah. And the, but one of the things about that, which I think is kind of crucial, this idea of the things that women will perhaps always be up against, um, and this is obviously partly coming from you know Swift's perspective, but then obviously from a sort of meta level from your perspective. Um, one of the things I found most interesting about the book is the kind of almost the way I suppose it refuses to center its antagonist. And I was originally going to say there aren't really sort of antagonists there, but then there are. I mean there's this character of um or this you know, personage of Willet Braun Braun or Brown who was the sort of mm-hmm. the head of this um mm-hmm. this this Mennonite community that uh, from which uh, her grandma and she escaped. Um, there's also this uh, guy referred only to only as Jay Gatsby, who seems to be sort of like you know trying to get them out of their get them out of their house. Um, I guess in a sense, Swift's dad, you know, although that complicates as the book goes on, but it could be seen as potentially as an antagonist. But like they're very marginal to the story, and it seemed to me that there was something very important about that, about the way that the way the story is being told by whom it's being told and for whom it's being told that these sort of antagonistic men should not be at the center, that their mm-hmm. actions should not be driving the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. And, and um, I'd like to say that that was a conscious thing that I did, but, um, but, but, but perhaps, <laughs> that was, but, um, but I like that. I like the way that you, that, that you describe that. And it's true. I agree that they shouldn't be um, at the, at the center of the story. And, and, and I guess in a sense, you know, these three Swift's dad, Jay Gatsby um, and, and Willett Braun, um, you know, sort of represent in a, in a, in a way, I mean, you know, the kind of constant, you know, the wolves at the, you know, one wanting to, uh, you know, kick them out of their house, take their house, one wanting them to repent and return to the fold so that, you know, they'll, uh, and, uh, and, and another, you know, having, having left them, but leaving that absence as, as Mm -hmm. another type of, of force and, and, you know, 
pressure. Um, yeah, and and sort of, you know, the household where Grandma Swiv and and Mushi are all in, you know, just just trying to just trying to live, just trying to get through life and, you know, with these almost invisible then, you know, yeah. invisible forces in a sense, real people, you know, doing real things, putting real pressure on them, you know, exacting this kind of pressure on them. But, but at the same time, like you say, a sort of, you know, just kind of representing that sort of, I don't know, kind of atmosphere of oppression that mm-hmm. we often as you know as women just kind of feel it's just it's just a thing it's a it's a vibe um you know but at the same time not to be too heavy-handed about that right. you know that it's that that that, that again it's just you know yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. comedy it's comedy too you know yeah. it's, it's comedy and how they and how they you know and how they uh react to it mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but it's it's almost like it's comedy because of the um because of the way that that grandma Mushi and of swim yeah. as the book goes on have decided to uh, yeah. approach it in a way this kind of very sort of yeah sort of a conscious attempt as um as, as we discussed earlier to sort of to to, to embrace joy to to you know yeah. <laughs> there's a moment i love it when uh, at the moment i think swift says you know grandma treats everything like a joke and yeah. she's saying it in sort of quite a dismissive way but as a reader you're already saying yes and that is <laughs> yeah. that is what, it, what makes her in a sense. absolutely absolutely yeah and, and um yeah 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 definitely and there you know and, and just that resistance to you know just sort of like the like the um the, the ridiculous the ridiculousness the absurdity mm-hmm. you know the comic absurdity and hypocrisy of course of their authority of the of mm-hmm. the the types of authority that the the these peripheral men have in, in the, in, in, in the book and how, you know, how, how they make fun of, how they make fun of them. Yeah. You know, the three women. One of the, um, it's, it's, as I said in in the introduction, it's kind of, it's sometimes a bit difficult to talk about this book without sort of lapsing into cliche, but like in terms like life affirming, I sort of, I normally shy away from, but I'm going to use it anyway. Like there's one of the most sort of life affirming aspects of the book, perhaps ironically, and this connects to grandma treating everything as a joke, is the conversations that grandma has, particularly with her friends, about death. Mm-hmm. And these are her kind of, you know, her elderly friends. So the way she talks about her, you know, ob- obviously imminent death, because she's an, an elderly lady, um, to, to Mushi and to Swiv is different in a way. But the way that Swiv reports the conversations that uh, the grandma has with her friends is this very sort of... Um, I don't know. There's a moment where she says, oh, yeah, let's just sort of goodbye and let's get it over with, you know, this this very sort of matter of fact, almost sort of dismissive idea um, or approach to death. It's actually it, it is said strangely comforting, I think. Absolutely. It's strangely comforting and um, and and comforting for me. I mean, my own mother. I mean, the book is really, uh, you know, Elvira in the book is, you know, is, is, is my mother. I wanted to write I about my mother. I saw that in the uh, author's notes <laughs> at the end. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to write, I wanted to write a book. Basically, I started having grandchildren, a mi- you know, a million, gra- I have four grandchildren suddenly mm-hmm. also over, over COVID and, it, <laughs> and it's amazing. And it's, it's just the best part of my life. And, and, um, but, but um, I wanted to write something, you know, I, I knew that they would start having questions about stuff that had happened in our family, the hard mm-hmm. stuff, you know, and, and, uh, and, the, and the good stuff. And I wanted to, I wanted to write about their great grandmother mm-hmm. for them, not knowing how long she'll be around and if they'll have any mem- memories of her, but, and, and also to, you know, to have something where, you know, when they started saying, who are these people and how did these uh-huh. people die to talk about, you know, the suicides, the mental illness, the addiction, the absent, the missing fathers, all of this stuff you know in my family's you know wor- world it sounds like a, a terrible country song or something like that but <laughs> <laughs> like, you know it's just it's just, it's just the reality you know mm-hmm. and and um so so um I'm not sure what my point was, but then, and death as well, death, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, it's something that here in North America, anyway, it's kept so far away from right. the, the, you know, children, we mustn't talk about it or accept it or acknowledge it or, um, you know, and, and, and I think that, I mean, my grandchildren are living just next door with mm-hmm. their parents, <laughs> my daughter <laughs> and my mother. There were four generations sort of all living together wow. here. And every single, yeah, there are four of us. Yeah. My, Eric and I built this little laneway house here that we live in now in the backyard. And so then my daughter and her family, her two little kids and her partner moved on to the second floor. And my mother is still on the main floor of the bigger house. So, so it's we're basically all like, like fight night with one extra generation, right? Absolutely. And a couple of dudes. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is great. I mean, you know, they can help out around the place. And so it's, <laughs> no, it's wonderful. We're all here together and it's great. Um, but, but for the most part, but, um, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, every single day, I mean, my mother is 87 years old. Every single mm-hmm. day she's getting a phone call, you know, one of her friends or family or, you know, relative has died. Of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's at that age, you know, every day she's going to a funeral every day. She's, I mean, not every day, but, and, um, you know, and my kids are seeing that and my grandchildren are, are, yeah. you know, are seeing that. And I think it's, it's fantastic. And she can, you know, we can talk about these things. She was showing a photograph, an old black and white photograph of her mother being, you know, put to, into her grave, literally the coffin being mm-hmm. lowered into her grave and showing it to my four-year-old grandson. And he was very intrigued with this and, mm-hmm. you know, and he was asking her, is there any way we can make her better? Can, c- couldn't you, couldn't you make her, make her, make her better? And, nope. That was it. And uh, yeah. And what, what did she say? It was something like, oh, so they're, so they're going to, put her they're putting her into the ground and that's where her that's where she'll be for the rest of her life (laughs) and (laughs) and you know my mother said you got the picture kid (laughs) and it was just (laughs) such a it made me laugh so you know it was like yeah that that is it Mm -hmm. exactly you know and then of course I mean you know kids will think about that and Mm -hmm. perhaps worry about that and wonder about it but I mean you know what what can you do uh-huh. And that that's oh. interesting because that's one thing we do have in, in the book as well is this sense of like, it's not, we talked about this sort of approach to life and embracing joy and fighting, but like, as you also said about, about the grandma, about Elvira, it's this idea of sort of accepting the truth as well. It's not about, turn, you know, making a game of it to turn away from it. It's about mm-hmm. sort of, you know, mm-hmm. having the truths, I guess the truth and an approach kind of sit alongside each other. And that's the way. Yeah. yeah, the way the way you you manage things, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, and it's not necessarily a conscious thing, but it's, but it's how. Um, I think it's just how how we live in mm-hmm. in a in a way. You know, we we know all of these things, but again, it's you know, it's like that concept of of life. Life is suffering. You know, the Buddhist mm-hmm. concept. I mean, it's it's um, you know, we we die. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and it seems it's so, it's so obvious, you know, and of, and of course it's, it's a fact, but, but, um, I think there, there are ways in which, you know, we live not fully, um, believing it or, or, or understanding it and, mm-hmm. and, or accepting it, you know, yeah. we know it, we know, we know it, but we don't know it. And, and that's, you know, I, I think that's an unfortunate thing. Yeah. 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 One of um, the episodes, and I hope I'm not giving too much away here to say that at the moment, Swiv and Grandma go to California. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and I, it's just one of my favorite moments in the book. So they they go to see Lou and Ken, who are um, Grandma's um, nephews. Um, although there's this wonderful moment where um, uh, Swiv says, Lou and Ken are are old hippies. Grandma hadn't told me that her nephews are ancient men. <laughs> Which just the right. turn of phrase had me weeping with uh, with laughter. But um, but again, and I suppose this connects to also to what I was saying earlier about the lack of antagonists. There's a kind of a rare thing about this book is the sort of lack of cynicism as well. So the sort of you would imagine finding old hippies in a book would you know more or less it's going to be in some way deeply critical of of the hippie movement and its hypocrisy or all this kind of stuff and one of the things i most loved about meeting lou and ken through through this book was again seeing the sort of i guess the the uncynical side to to that and this sort of i guess a, a perhaps it acts as just a little bit of a redressment to to some of the ways that these these people in this movement have been represented in, in films and literature of late. Yeah. Yeah, that that's very true, actually. Because I mean, you know, there were so many great and great things that came out of the whole hippie movement, you know, and and you know, peace, love, and understanding, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, we know that, you know, there there was also, you know, the the lack of it within mm. within the within the movement and that, you know, so many hippies turned out not not to be, you know, lifelong idealists. And- <laughs> <laughs> 
pacifist, you know, and that it was a, it was a kind of, you know, it was a, it was a thing, but, but in the case of Bob and, uh, whoops, I just said there, you know, these, these characters are based really on, <laughs> on my, on my actual California hippie cousins, Bob and Dawn. To whom the book is dedicated. Well. Yeah, That's yeah. right. Yes. In part. I did, and, again, I did wonder when I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Swiv just, you know, and, and as did I, you know, when I was a kid and I still do, I mean, I love these guys. They're, you know, they, they, um, you know, they, they, they walk that walk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They, you know, particularly, um, Ken and, 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 you know, or is it Lou? Now I can't remember. I know it's Bob, but, uh, (laughs) you know, sort of like just a, just, um, a a way, a way of life, a way of being in the world that, that for Swiv, Mm -hmm. you you know, it's just, uh, is, is fascinating. Um, and there's an honesty there and a, you know, for sure dropping out of, of everything that's, you know, about society that's, that's false. (laughs) And, and, you know, Swift is starting to see that. Right. And, uh, and so she respects that, you know, their, Mm their, 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 their lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. That's a kind of authentic (laughs) engagement of a nine-year-old child. Like, uh, this is one full moment where, you know, towards the end of the book where she says, you know, California had changed me, man. And I, <laughs> yeah. again, you know, it's those moments where you just want to reach into the book and, <laughs> and give her a little hug because it's so, uh, so wonderful. Um, we're going to have to finish quite soon, but I, I would like to just talk a little bit about, I suppose, coming in a sense, coming back to this idea of letters and writing and and the importance of books to um, to this family, because it becomes clear it's it's never sort of overplayed i guess in a sense because to a 9 year old you know certain great books and great literature are not going to be necessarily central to her life but it becomes clear as you advance that this book is a very this family is a very sort of literate family mm-hmm. um so there are references to um you know to steinbeck and there's one there's a reference to uh, albert camus as well um and at at a certain point um Swift talks about how, um, and I just got to find this girl. This is it. So Swift says, you know, I remember reading an interview with a writer once, and she said that she was writing against death, uh, that the act of writing or of storytelling, that every time she wrote a story, I mean, she was working through her own death. And it just, it just, it just struck me that there's something um, almost sort of, that there's something about the sort of the power of literature and the power of writing, which is very sort of discreetly played in this book and yet at the same time seems to hold, hold a lot of uh, a lot of force i suppose particularly for 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 mushi mm-hmm. uh, absolutely i mean the books you know books uh, again you know are what save us books are what don't save us mm-hmm. and you know but book books are for for mushi i mean she has her um and and this is the same for for me and and for you know members of my family i mean books are um not not only not 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 only the the reading of the books the understanding the you know the 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 taking from the books what it what is there and 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 absorbing it it is actual just the the physical books the books be being there that we see see them as you know like talisman as touchstone as as um as air as oxygen i mean you know the just the, the physical presence of of books and 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 um, quoting from books to each other. I mean, we do that in in our family. It's like it's a form. It's a sort of secular form, basically, mm-hmm. of scripture for for us. And and you know, the Bible was the for you know for for me and my 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 parents, my sister certainly, not my kids, but you know, it was <laughs> it was the, it was the book. Of course, mm-hmm. it was you know, and. Um, and we we started we began life with with stories and you know and we were told that you know the the world began with a st- you know mm. the, everything be, begins with that and 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 um i mean i don't believe in you know the 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 idea of god having created mm. the world and so i but <laughs> you know but, but do you know what i mean like when it it's so it's so you know it's it's just it's just bread and butter and and um and and yeah so the importance of books and and for and for grandma grandma too you know even though she really exclusively reads um whodunits at this point uh-huh. in her life <laughs> and, <laughs> and and in fact you know saws them up into sections so that they're easier for her to carry around in her handbag. But, you know, but, but aside from that, I mean, there's, there's a deep, yeah, deep 
um, not not only respect for you know for for stories for for words for writing but but um it's just uh medicine is is the wrong word because mm-hmm. that makes it sound um but but um i i don't know i mean i i know you would have the right word I, I don't know. I don't I know what. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what this this family and fight night or my family or you know so many other people would do with it. Um, I'm curious just uh, to ask you as well about Camus in particular um, because it sort of it's it struck me while reading Fight Night that there's something um, very sort of Camusian if, if such a word exists about the the underlying. Uh, philosophy of the book in a way I guess which is sort of the Camus that sort of I think people are most familiar with from the outsider is is this sort of this sense of the the meaninglessness of life yeah Yeah. but there's also the side to Camus about sort of that you find in more in his essays I suppose through like the myth of Sisyphus and things like that of finding meaning through the absurdity Mm -hmm. and that seemed to me to be really sort of in some way underpinning uh the uh, fight night. And I was curious, was was this sort of something which you know, you have found in Camus or have you kind of you know, arrived at a, essentially at a similar point from very different uh, directions? Mm-hmm. I think that's so interesting because, um, yeah, you know, and, and of course, Camus, you know, question, the central question for him being, you know, the only the only question, you know, suicide or not, do we kill mm-hmm. ourselves or, or, do, or, or do we not? And then his, you know, I guess his his conclusion that, you know, that that, yes, life is meaningless mm-hmm. in a sense, if you want to, you know, if, if we're looking at it through a certain lens, um, you know, but, but at the, but at the same time, it's meaningful to live it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and, and, and it's absurd. And yet we will, you know, make a, a sort of serious effort to, to do it, Uh you know, like it's, 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 it's just a beautiful, you know, rich, um, like I, I love it that, you know, just that, 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 that confluence of thoughts or that, that, um, conundrum, Mm -hmm. you know, that this is a ridiculous thing to do. And yet it's the best thing in the world, (laughs) (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Which sounds like the perfect place for us, uh, to leave it. I, I hope it has come across in this conversation to, uh, to our listeners and indeed to you just how, how wonderful I think this book is now I would press it. I'd be pressing it upon everybody, uh, in the bookstore and online for, for months and I'm sure years to come. Of course, Fight Night is available from Shakespeare and Company from our online store. Uh, we ship all over the world, but of course it's available from your local independent bookstore, uh, wherever that may be. It also contains, and I won't ruin it by reading it out, but I think the uh, the probably the most <laughs> accurate and funny description I've ever heard of what I would imagine Leonard Cohen to be like as a as a lover. It just it just it's just uh, yeah, just that that one <laughs> paragraph just. <laughs> Has, has been shared around sort of fellow Leonard Cohen acolytes uh, already um, at the bookstore. Um, but Miriam, thank, thank you. you so, so much for, for joining us today. Thank you so, so much for having me, Adam. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Shakespeare and Company podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, it would be great if you could help us spread the word by reviewing or rating us in your favourite app or just by sending the link to your friends. And don't forget... If you'd like even more from Shakespeare and Company, you can subscribe now through Apple Podcasts or Patreon for just €3 a month. Links to both are available in the show notes to this episode. Production of this podcast is all done in-house here at Shakespeare and Company Paris. All music is by Alex Fryman, whose album Play It Gentle is available to buy or stream wherever you listen. We'll be back soon. Until then, take care and thanks again for listening.